Hi, everyone, and welcome to the In the Shoes of podcast, where I make it my goal to see life as much as possible from someone else's point of view. Just like we all have a unique heartbeat, every single one of us sees life only from our own perspectives. Think about it. Can you see and process life exactly as Elon Musk sees and processes life? The answer is you can't, and it applies to every living conscious being here on this pale blue dot. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for In the Shoes of Today. I have Amy Teets, straight from New York, a customer, a what else? A user experience designer. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about small town drugs coming from small towns, going to New York, working as a costumer, modern day misogyny, and... A few other things, which uh, you're going to hear pretty soon here. Also, if you have friends or family members who are deaf or hard of hearing, please direct them over to intheshoesof.org, where I will be having each and every episode either transcribed or available in video form with captions. And if it's not there just yet, know that I'm definitely working on it. On with the show. How have you been anyway, before we get going with this, even though we're recording, but we're still recording. Um, I've been really, I've been good. I've been good. It's, um, I just got a puppy and we've been here. A we, I was in Ohio. I picked him up from Indiana and I was with my parents for like a week and a half with him. And then we've been in New York for a week. So we're just getting adjusted. To each oh, other. wow. Yeah. That sounds cool. What's, is it a him or a her? It's a him. He's uh-huh. a, yeah, he's a little maniac. He just. He thought he was all like hyper and then he just fell asleep on my foot. So I was like, <laughs> Is his name Toby? No. Why? It's not. Oh, I don't know. I just, I always tend to call my friends pets when I don't know their names, Toby. I don't know why. Like my friend has a parrot named Squawk, I think. I don't remember the real name. I just call the parrot Toby. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So every pet is named Toby to me. But That's awesome. What's your actual pet's name? His name is Ash or Asher. I think it's Ash to me, but. So. That is so cool. I love that. Thanks. Asher is like the coolest name ever. Have you ever read any Christopher Moore books? No. Oh, my God. I don't know if you're into fiction at all, but this is like if you're ever stressed out or just anxious about whatever, just pick up a Christopher Moore book and you'll be taken into this wonderful fantasy land of humor and beauty. It's just it's they're they're fantastic. Anyway, Charlie Asher is uh, in the book called A Dirty Job. And um, yeah. It's it's phenomenal. He's one of my favorite characters. Totally beta male character that I can relate with on a number of levels. Really cool shit. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Anyway, um, yeah, you're probably busy, so we can probably get started here. And I want to just say, that, Amy, thank you so much for joining me today and agreeing to do this, uh, to going through actually this interrogation. I don't know if you knew it was going to be an interrogation. All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. How honest are we supposed to be? Like as honest as you possibly can, or are willing to be. Okay. If I go full on honest, we might not use last names, and we can decide at the end. But <laughs> oh, totally, and I can always edit out whatever needs to be edited out. First, I have to ask possibly the most important question of this entire interview, which is, what shoes are you wearing right now? And if none, the last pair that you wore. Um, this is really important to me because um, shoes are like everything, you know, I'm, I'm a lady with many shoes, mm-hmm. but lately I have been obsessed with this one pair of shoes that I wear all the time that are these wedge sneakers that I've, I had for like three years. I had the leather 
And they're like falling apart. So today it's a nice day out. So I wore my black suede version of those since it's not like a crappy winter day. And so that's what I wore to go pick up something from the vet around the corner. And I wear them all the time. I always, I've like basically never wear flats ever. Oh, wow. That's really cool. What's the brand? Uh, They're called Ash. Oh, see? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Amazing. Yeah, that's why an accident. I mean, I definitely like named him after something else, but yeah, they're cute that I'm obsessed. Wait, they, with. It, they actually are called Ash. Yeah, oh. it's just like <laughs> desire brand of like yeah. They started the whole like wedge sneaker trend, and yeah. So that is actually awesome. I thought that was just a mental slip, but no, it's actually Ash. That's really cool. Okay, well, I'm gonna go yeah. pick up a pair of Ash wedge shoes today. <laughs> Do they make them for men too, or no. or no? No. <laughs> Like some of them are like hideous, but like there's, you know, it's like this fine line of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So what do you, Miss Amy, do for a living? Um, I am doing two things right now. Um, for the last 14 years, I worked in costumes in film and TV, which I got into right out of school when I was, I uh, went to school for fashion in Philly and um, I wasn't super interested in the fashion industry, but um got into film and TV, worked on a TV show there, then moved to New York and been working on really, really big projects with the crew here and the industry here is a really, we kind of all know each other. And especially since Facebook, we sort of all connect Sure. and we're all married to each other and everybody's got like kids together and you, um, that's a major polygamy going on right there. Yeah, totally. Um, but because we work together, it's like 12 hour days, like 10 to 12 to like sometimes 16, 18 hours. Like it's crazy. Like how many hours you work together. So it, yep. they're like your family. Um, and I've been doing that for a long time. And, uh, there's a lot of times I've been like, I need to do something else and get out of this. And, um, you know, transitioning careers completely from industry to industry is really hard. Plus people don't really understand how much goes into the back end and like why there's so many people on the credits of a movie in TV, they don't really credit everybody who worked on the show, but there's, you know, hundreds of people who work on almost all these projects. So yeah, it's hard to explain when you're trying to switch industries, like how, what I did applies to the new one. So mm-hmm. my new job is, um, and I'm doing like a freelance gig for that right now too, is uh, user experience design, um, user interface designing for like apps and websites and right now I'm like working for a company designing a music festival website. That's like a brand new music festival, kind of like Bonnaroo, which is really fun because you can basically do anything. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's um, a short gig. And I could think, you know, it's only going to be like 40 hours of work, but um, it's like really fun. And I think I get because I've been freelance for so long and I've just been like, I'm like open to it. Like I get offered a lot of freelance gigs on that end as well. Awesome. And are you still doing both jobs then? Are you still in the, you know, costuming for the TV? And that's what it is. You're a cost. Is it the word? Yeah, it's called costumer. I guess it's not actually like, I mean, it's always when you type it in, um, it always says it's a misspell, (laughs) but (laughs) that's what we call ourselves as a costumer. Um, I'm a, a lot of times I've been like costume supervising, like really big period shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the vinyl pilot and that get down show on Netflix. I did like the first three or four episodes. That is cool. Yeah. They're like really big things. And like what I do is, um, the extras have to be pre-fit and their costumes have to be like prepped and like sent to set. And they all have to get dressed in the morning before they go to set. And it's like, this it's just chaos. So 
I imagine. And have you ever had any missteps happen? I mean, let's say it's just something went completely awry. I don't know. Maybe someone's blouse came completely undone at the back or something. I mean, always. There's always some fire to come out. You know, there's always something. It's like whenever you're doing anything like that, it's like um, it's so on the fly. You do have a schedule and you have ways that you prepare for everything. But your entire job is like, well, we're not going to shoot that on Friday anymore. We're going to shoot it on Tuesday. How do we get these 200 people ready? You know, who can we get to be there? How do you make the calls? How do you adjust? Like, it's all about just this like high stress, like last minute, you know, so you try to do your best. And wow. So you essentially you have to dress 200 people, essentially. Yeah, some days you have to get 300 people dressed in the morning. You know, if parents thought their job was hard getting their kids ready for school, for most of us, the layperson who's not in the entertainment industry, we're like, wow, that actor is fashionable and probably just wore that leather jacket into work that day. <laughs> the clothing they're wearing, right? Yeah, exactly. We don't think about all the Amy Teats in the background going through utter chaos, getting actors ready to do their job, right? Yeah, and it's really stressful for everybody. What I always do is, you know, we have everybody come in ahead of time. So you have a big day coming up and it's 200 people. So you set it up. So everybody, you know, people come in every 20 minutes and you have like, it's like going to the doctor's office. You're like, come on in, take off your clothes, put this on, see if it fits, take a photo, send it to somebody to approve. Mm -hmm. We get it ready in the morning. And then, you know, I don't always go to set, but when we do go to set and everything, it's like, it's a brand new location. We're in a church basement almost always. So yeah, the film industry is like, mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day about how much money we give to the churches around here just because they let us use their basements. I didn't realize there was a correlation there between the entertainment industry and church basements in New York, at least. Yeah, it's like, because they have a lot of space and it's like a really great way for us to kind of like load in and use their space. And they're also like not in use, like during the week and the mornings, like no one's using them. So um we set up, you know, 200 people is probably like 10 racks and they're like five, six foot rack, like long, like these huge metal industrial racks. You set up this huge space and changing rooms and all the extras come in and they're all discombobulated and they're like, where's my stuff? Where's my form? Like, this is my first time. You know, they have to put on these random clothes. Everything gets, you know, you just have to like control all this chaos. So it's pretty crazy. So what made you decide to transition from this? Um, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons. When I started, it was like, I did a TV show, like it was a cop show. And I would start Monday morning, I was on set all day, Monday morning, you would start at five or six in the morning. Then you would like every day you get later and later, because you have a 12 hour 10 to 12 hour turnaround, which means you have to be down and then you go back in. So then Tuesday, you go in at nine. Wednesday, you go in at like 11. By Friday, you're going in at like noon or one o'clock. And then you work all night. And I did uh, two seasons of a TV show, like a cop show like that. And it was just so exhausting. I was like, is this something I really want to do until I'm like 60 years old? You know, it's like you don't really have a life. There's no real work-life balance. So over the past couple of years, I've been trying to think about where I can do and get out of it. I like took a yoga teacher training and, you know, because there's so much money in yoga. Um, (laughs) And uh, but I like left Boardwalk Empire and took a month and like, got my teacher training, which was really great and really fun, but not a sustainable career. But then it's really physical as well. And um, about three years ago, I had tendonitis in my arm from like my wrist to my neck so badly I could barely like hold a cup. From your wrist to your neck. I don't think I've actually ever heard of that. Yeah, just the costumes. It's like the amount of lifting and like on Boardwalk, um, 
those like overcoats they wear like 30 pounds and you're like lifting everything like over and over and you know it's repetitive motion of like pulling the clothes out of the bags and putting them on the rack and then holding the steamer which can be like really you know it could be a metal steamer which is really heavy and mm-hmm. it's just really physical you're on your feet for like 12 hours a day a lot of times and yeah so I started to get really worried I'm like well now I don't even know if I can do this you know I've always been like I don't think I want to do this forever but now I'm like really had to think about I don't think I can do this, you know, and, um, it's really taxing. And so, you know, New York's been lucky. It's been really busy here. Um, but it also like made us all kind of, uh, get really great jobs at, you know, young ages. So all the people who are in their thirties, like we all have like great supervising gigs, whereas like it used to be the supervisors were in their fifties and stuff. But now, um, all my friends are like, well, we're in our thirties and like, we've done all the jobs we want to do. Like we've done all the big jobs. Oh, wow. So it's time for something else then. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Like I just supervised a job for Mark Scorsese's, you know, thing and like Boz Lerman and, um, another person, you know, she supervised for the Steven Spielberg movie that was in town. And there's just like all this stuff around and we're, you know, we're all like, okay, now what? Like we did it. So do we do this for another 20 years? <laughs> right. And get tendonized in both arms. Yeah. Or, you know, like have to have back surgery by the time you're 40 and, you know, it's not all like that bad, but you do have to be like, really careful. Yeah. Oh, I checked out your website and I think I should plug that right now. And I'm going to. The website is amyteats.com. That's A, M as in Mary, Y as in yellow, T as in teeter tot, E E T S dot com. Amyteats.com. Go ahead and check it out today because it's awesome. Amy, if you had to define yourself in the third person, what would you say? What I would say about myself is that like I, this is how I feel I am, is like I grew up in like a really rural area and now I live in the middle of Manhattan, basically. And um, where did you grow up, by the way? Um, Like an hour north of Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Yeah, like near... Um, Miami University of Ohio, which is like actually in the middle of nowhere, um, just a, like a really rural area. You know, we had goats growing up as a kid and um, I was in like the county fair and 4-H and everything. It's I mean, you would blink and it's like it's like basically the the post office, which, by the way, the post office now is open from like 11 a.m. to like 2.30 p.m. It's they, the people who work there only work there like four hours a day. I'm sending in my application immediately after this interview. (laughs) Yeah. I would describe myself in the third person as someone who can kind of like fit in with anybody and um, sort of be at home and like find commonality with pretty much anybody. And I think it's possible for everybody if they just kind of like open their minds a little bit. But I think because I like grew up in this really small town and, you know, understand where those people are coming from and then live here among like expats from other countries and, you know, my friends here who are all transplants and the people who are from New York and all this and sort of get like a, an idea of like what people are about. Would you be able to find commonality with a Trump supporter? I'm assuming that you likely didn't vote for him this past election. It's been funny because uh, on Facebook, you know, when I truly have hidden like most of my high school friends and I do have some friends who live there and I just saw him um, when I was home and I posted on his wall something about I'm like, you know, we're in it together. Like we, I was just at the women's march, um, you know, don't like we're going to get through this. We're like the energy in New York right now is palpable. 
everybody is fired up. We're all meeting. We're like calling our senators. My entire Facebook feed is full of people and like numbers to call and actions to take. And everyone's really fired up. And I'm like, I think that whatever it is or whatever change can possibly come of this, people here are really excited about, like very energetic about it. And um, you can feel it, like you can feel it in the air. And I posted on my friend's wall, like, you know, I'm with you. You know, this is really scary. I've been listening to another podcast called Pod Save America. And I'm like, you know, the Russian thing is getting even more terrifying. And somebody like wrote on his wall and tried to get like a fight with me. Oh, really? (laughs) And I'm like never on Facebook ever. I never post anything. Um, I'm a really open person when you meet me, but like I'm very private online. I feel like it's really dangerous for women to express opinions on the internet. Let's take Leslie Jones, for example. Um, So I am really careful about like what I put out there. It's been really hard actually, even just to like post um, like for my, my website, like blog. For me, it's just it just feels like dangerous. You know, it doesn't feel safe there. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and I don't know, like, apparently no one gives a fuck about like changing policy on it. So you can just do whatever you want and like give out people's home addresses and tell Mm -hmm. them you're going to like murder and rape like women all the time. And like, no one's doing anything. So have you experienced any of that? No, but I'm like terrified of it. I've like read so many articles about how like helpless you can like, there's nothing to do about any of that and how like no one's safe. I just read an article about somebody who um, in Wikipedia, apparently only like 90% of the Wikipedia editors are men. And this woman now, but when she like 10 years ago, when she was 12, she started to make tiny edits on Wikipedia and she gets internet trolled from other Wikipedia editors, like on the reg. (laughs) Wikipedia editors? That's just crazy to me. I know. I was completely shocked as well when I read this article. So every time she gets like like the same thing, giving out her address, telling them they're going to like rape and murder her all the time because she wants to contribute to Wikipedia. So every time she gets, I guess the article was basically like every time she gets internet trolled, she then posts another Wikipedia page for a female scientist on Wikipedia and like dedicates it in the honor of the internet troll who just trolled her. Just an FYI to my listeners out there. I had some weird things happening with the audio. So uh, it kind of interrupted the flow of the conversation but we'll definitely hop right back to it. Um, Thanks for bearing with me on this one. Still working out a little bit of audio kinks, but we'll get through it. Amy Teets is a very interesting and awesome person. So on with the podcast. So do you have the name of the Wikipedia editor who keeps getting trolled? Yeah, her name is Emily Templewood. Emily Templewood. Yeah, and if you go on Medium and just search for Wikipedia and her name, that, that probably, it's like from February 6th, so. I'll definitely check that out. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. My next question is, and we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole or anything. No, it's fine. (laughs) Okay. Well, my question then is, how bad do you think it is now? Uh, Are we talking about, once again, rampant, are we talking about rampant misogyny here in both a, not just in a psychological sense and and just kind of the crazy, weird, passive aggressive stuff guys do, but also in a physiological sense? I mean... What's going on out there? How bad do you think it is? You know, it's funny. Um, I was trying to convince my mom that I didn't think Hillary should run or because <laughs> I didn't think she could win because of like mm-hmm. the context of the world that I actually work in and how um, the film industry is like pretty blue collar in that way. And we don't have like an HR department. And um, I th- oh, I probably mentioned how I had to have somebody um, kind of let go for sexual harassment. And I like after I 
went to the producers and it was sort of like, I wrote it all out. I was like, wow, this was something that I, a lot of people I think sort of tolerate and you don't really think about, or I don't know, I, I guess being a Gen Xer, it's like, I don't really feel like my voice is like, or maybe I just silenced my voice for a really long time. And now I'm like older and I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I think in particular, what we were talking about was, um, I was on this job and this guy was just, a, he's just really sleazy. And I just always got a really bad vibe from him. What ended up happening was that I wrote it all down because it had gotten pretty bad. And I was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And I realized that if I didn't protect the extras that were coming in and having to deal with him and his comments, you know, if they complained and I hadn't said anything, it's like, it's not just about me and protecting myself. It's about protecting them and my crew. And um, I was like, well, let's get all the examples and write them all down. And it ended up being like three pages of examples of how he was inappropriate or like just didn't do his job. And then when I got, when he did get let go or I went to my female unit production manager who's like runs, you know, the money in the office and then the female producer on a female created show that was in my entire department was women. Um, and the, you know, my, well, except for the head designer, but we all went in and we talked to our female producers and it was like, they were like, we had no idea it was so bad. Um, and what had happened was that he got given to us to work behind the scenes, checking in extras because the lead of the show I was working on didn't like him and said that she didn't want him on set anymore because of the same reason. And I'm like, this is just irresponsible. Like if one of us says that he's a creep, like, I don't know. It's like, you know, we were taught that we can't like really trust our instincts, but it is like, we need to look out for each other. And, um, so they gave him to us, even though the star of the show said he was a creep and, um, he got let go. How long did it take for him to get fired? Um, it was a 10 episode season. So it was, um, one full season of him. And then maybe I guess I got through half of this second season. And I was like, I can't do this. Cause we had actually asked for him not to be allowed back that we wanted to hire somebody else. And the producer who ended up firing him was like, Oh, it's fine. I already promised him a job. He contacted me privately. Cause you know, he's a creep and she's like, I'll talk to him. And then she didn't talk to him. So then she didn't want me to call the lawyers or like get anybody from the studio involved in LA because, you know, first of all, it would come like way like bad on her for not talking to him and rehiring him, even though we asked that he not be hired, you know, cause we're working directly with him. Like, I guess I hadn't said it loud enough, you know, and that was on me too. You know, it's my responsibility to kind of like say it a little bit louder. That's not something you should have to say loudly whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> if, if someone just whispers something like that, people should yeah. immediately pounce on it. That's just, you know, common sense to me. Yeah. And that's what happened was that I whispered it. I was like, can't you be on set some days? Like I'm over this guy. Like he's, I don't like him. I don't like having him all the time. Can we like split it up with somebody? Can we alternate episodes? And that's when I found out he wasn't allowed on set at all. And I'm like, well, this is bullshit. So after I found out about that, um, it took me about a week and I got him out of there. And, um, you know, he said at first he was going to fight it. And then he didn't like, he didn't have any there was no moral standing. And so I made a few calls just to let other people know, like, this is what happened, like my ex-boyfriend and some other people who might be hiring him because he works in the production department, like on set. So, you know, it wasn't like I could be like, call my union and get protected through that. But so we have to go through like, because we don't really have an official HR department, there's like a lot of different ways that these things can fall through the cracks. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, I haven't seen him since, which is fine. Um, I'm not like 
scared of him, I guess. I'm glad that like he never reached out to me on social media or anything and tried to like retaliate or say anything. I was very lucky. Um, but after he left, I got approached by like three or four different people and they were like, I never liked that guy or he used to like harass me as well. And I'm so glad or like he, I yelled at him last year cause he used to harass one of the office PAs. And, you know, I got a lot of people come up to me afterwards to tell me that they were glad he was gone. What you reminded me of was a, uh, this guy from Australia, he took a trip to Thailand and he was stationed in Bangkok and Evidently, he was surrounded a lot of times by guys who were gay, but really just they didn't care about, you know, doing the uh, cat calls to other guys. It was like pretty intense. Like, I think he was probably propositioned uh, a number of times and it was it got pretty intense. And he was like, you know, I used to do this stuff to women. But now I understand that. Wow, this is it kind of made him it gave him a really sick feeling. And kind of made him kind of scared and objectified and all this stuff. I'm like, I wish every guy who totally objectifies women like that, they should go and experience something like that. Seriously. I think it's needed, you know? Yeah, I was listening to something. It might be on like This American Life. And this woman was like interviewing a bunch of guys in Australia. And he's like, no, I, they like it. They like it. They think it's fun. Like women. Like, I heard that. that. Did you listen to that one? Yes. That was a crazy episode, wasn't it? Like, no, they like it. I can't do an Australian accent, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was insane to me. Even and the girl, God bless her, she was like so intent on making them understand, trying to bring some reason into their lives and showing them statistics and facts and all that. But sometimes I don't know. It's like the guy was barely convinced at the end, you know? Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because like living here. Um, I don't know. I think I used to get catcalled worse in Philly. Like for some reason I found Philly to be like a little bit louder, but it's like hilarious to me. Cause like, I always joke with like that video of that woman getting catcalled and stuff. I'm like, well, she walked, it's like an African-American thing. Sometimes it's like more that during, but like during the day, like they do it when they're sober. And then like the white guys always do it when they're like wasted. So it's like walking around my neighborhood. You're like during the day, it's like, you know, my African-American friends. And then at night, it's like these dumb, drunk, like white boys. You're like, okay. Okay, great. Getting <laughs> hit from all sides here. Yeah. Switch gears a little bit. I wanted to ask you, when you die, what, if anything, do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as a person who was giving and loving to her friends and family and that the people in my life feel like they had been supported and loved. And I think that's it. That sums it up. That's really cool. It's uh, some fundamental life stuff right there. But going into a different direction then, what is that part of your fundamental passion in life to be there for family and friends? Or is your passion like, you know, is it the user experience designer, costumer, or is it you want to do something else? The new this Amy actually eventually wants to go overseas and become a doctor without borders or something like that. Um, no, I mean, I think that I guess the whole thing that feeds into it is like with the costuming thing or the and then got me into the UX is that I love to make, you know, that chaos and like creating that moment when they walk in and they're so like disoriented um, and making it easier for everybody and less stressful is like how I think that I'm a really efficient person. And I can, I understand, like I said, like a bunch of different like point of views and can kind of see like big picture stuff and like um, learning about how people learn and how people understand different things um, 
and that's the part of the costuming and the costume supervising that I loved was to make things easier for everybody and easier to understand and things to run smoother and be less stressful. And that's the passion that I take into like designing websites. And cause like, I mean, how many times, I don't know if your parents call you and ask you to teach them how to use their iPad, but mine do that like on a regular basis um, and how to use their iPhone. And sure. I'm like, well, if my dad can like work this thing that I'm making while he's drunk in his hot tub, like then we succeeded. You know, <laughs> like as long right. as like yeah, my dad exactly. can use it, like while he's drinking whiskey, like whatever, doing his thing, that's a good product. Um, and it's easy to use. And I think that it kind of goes into my whole thing of just like being there for friends and like trying to make their lives easier. And, you know, this morning I was just thinking about, I had like a whole thing cause the, the dog has like some parasite and I would just like, was really overwhelmed with like the vet's message and the first few visits to the vet are really expensive, especially in New York. And you're like, all right, so is my vet ripping me off? And it's, and we were la- like, I called three friends and, you know, they all call me back basically all at the same time, even though like I texted each of them at different times. And um, my first friend was like, yeah, this is how we do this. Like you can't navigate New York without double checking with all your friends. Cause like, you can't even trust Yelp, you know, like everybody's on the mic. And so you're like, well, is this, is my vet yeah. ripping me off or is this actually a thing? And is like, do I really need to give them all this medicine? Is this like the, you know, a comparable cost? And it's like that with everything here. It's like, well, what about your dentist? What about your hairstylist? Like, where are you going to get every last little thing? Really? You just can't do anything on your own. You know, I've been mm-hmm. thinking about that a lot lately to go off on my own tangent is like, when I was in Ohio, my parents had workers in their home. And the, this woman who I've been nice to for like three or four days, I'm introduced her to the puppy. And she's like, oh, where do you live again? And I'm like, or she's like, where are you visiting from? And I'm like, well, I'm not visiting. Like, I still consider that my home. You know, that's where I'm from. That's like mm-hmm. part of who I am, you know, is this small town, per- like small town girl, this farm girl, like that farm girl was always there. And she's like, oh, where are you visiting from? And I'm like, New York. And she like literally flinched. She flinched really flinched yeah and she like gave me a look and i'm like we've been friends for three days what um i think there's this like fake news out there about how new yorkers are all like elitist um like liberal like assholes (laughs) and that we think we're better than anybody else and that like somebody said like i don't know where i read this that they think that we're like we're like the capital in the hunger games (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) yeah and i'm like um (laughs) (laughs) wow talk about putting something huge into a small box yeah and i'm like guys but like you know that like i don't know if you all work like 60 to 80 hours a week like where you live but like that's what we do so i don't really think that that's comparable (laughs) the people in the capital in the movie like didn't really like work at all so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's really unfair Yeah. I mean, it just, it really bothers me because it's like, they all want the same thing, like knowing them and growing up with them and then being here. And it's like, truly, they're just like turning us against each other and making us into two different colors, which makes no sense to me when, um, you know, we all want like a good living, you know, being from both, like seeing both sides. I mean, I, I was raised in a very, don't get me wrong. I was raised in a very liberal house, you know, that we watched the news every night. Mm -hmm. I like was raised on Dan Rather and you know, my father was never into Republicans and I was definitely raised in like at my high school, you know, my parents had their master's degrees, but like a lot of people that I went to school with, you know, lived in trailer parks and their parents didn't make a lot of money. And, 
So there was a lot of growing up. I was always like trying to be the voice of reason and being like, well, you know, black people aren't all bad. Uh. (laughs) Is like actual phrases that would come out of my mouth. Like growing up, they are not all bad. You had to actually convince people that not all black people were bad. Yeah. These like, these like political things you get into in high school are like basically so base. Yeah. And I mean, I don't mean to generalize everybody I graduated with, but like there was some serious racism there and it's overt. It's not subvert at all. Yeah. Um, And that's been coming out a little bit more recently too, uh, with this past election, I think. Yeah. That was like 20 years ago. You know, the only thing that like has changed really in my area is the heroin epidemic. And um, I was just talking to a friend of mine and we're like, how many people have we gone to high school with and that we graduated with are, are dead now? OD like it's it's like it's a lot like what is a lot um I mean she said oh do you remember this person and that person and I'm like yeah and I'm like well I don't know and she mentioned like three or four people from her graduating class because she's a couple years younger and I said oh you know this person and that person is dead and I'm like this person was found in a ditch and I was like whatever happened to that girl in that class that they said she got murdered and they're like no she just OD'd and he stuffed her in a closet like crazy what yeah and this is all in Okeana, Ohio. Well, like what's happening in, in the Cincinnati area, the Midwest, I mean, pretty much like in West Virginia and stuff is the oxy epidemic. And I guess New Hampshire had said that that was one of their main issues. This election is like the oxy and heroin epidemic is insane right now. Hmm. You know, my little brother was a drug addict for 20 years. So I definitely have like a personal and now he's a drug counselor. So I have a lot of information oh, wow. about it. Because he's been sober for like five years and working at a drug treatment facility. Yeah, I mean, there's at least in my grade, there's at least I know right at the top of my head, there's at least one or two people that I graduated with that are have passed and have OD. That's at least. And we were just talking in casual conversation over the years, we could think of like six people within like three grades. And that's we don't even know everybody, you know? Yeah. Is crystal meth also something that's still rampant? I was asking my brother about that and he's like, not as much, you know, they don't see it as like as often in their area. It's, it is just mostly like oxy and heroin. Is oh, okay. Heroin. Yeah. Gotcha. Are you religious at all? I mean, growing up in rural communities, a lot of times there's pretty strong religious roots there. Yeah. Um, my family was, it's a pretty, it's a very like kind of long story. Go for it. My family, we didn't go to like organized church. You know, I think my dad considers like nature to be his place of like spirituality. And I would say that he probably would would say that he does believe in God, I think. Um, But we didn't really, you know, we didn't grow up in a religious house. Um, My mom was raised Quaker. So she went to boarding school and she like has her own, she could be really quiet, you know, like they have like a very meditative prayer practice. So the meetings and the whole thing, but we never went to meetings growing up. And pretty sure my mom prays and she has her, you know, can she considers herself to have a relationship with her God and to use turn a phrase from the Christian community. Yeah. <laughs> In my high school experience, there was a secular youth group called Young Life. And because my brother had started using in like sixth and seventh grade and I was two years older, right when he started using and my my home life got really chaotic, I started to go to this youth group and got really into church like all through high school so i was like born again in high school actually oh wow but it was a secular church um, right yeah I or... what it was a secular youth group that they do through high schools and oh, okay and, yeah yeah so and then you like after that when i got my license i would like either go with friends to church on sunday and then bible study on like another night and then this youth group on another night 
And um, I ended up at a first Baptist church, I guess. One of the youth leaders there was like my youth leader from the other thing. So, okay. Um, But the whole thing like fell apart in like this royal, (laughs) amazing way. My youth leader got his girlfriend pregnant and had to quit the church and the youth group. And Danny was just like getting worse. And it was like my family for a little while. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't safe anymore. Right. There. Like it didn't feel like home anymore. You know, I was just kind of like left, lost all over again. But like, you know, it meant a lot to me at the time. And I understand like why it was so important. And that's another way that I like, I guess I can see from that point of view and like how they believe so passionately about things. But it was like a lot of the things that when I was in high school, you know, are still like kind of hard to swallow, like the whole gay thing. And I'm like, come on, you guys, like, it's not a choice. And I just think that like, you know, growing up and a very accepting home. It's really hard to <laughs> learn hate, I guess. Yeah. And some of what I saw is like not, it comes from a place of hate. I mean, it do, not all, I'm yep. not saying that like all these people were, but they, you know, a lot of them were, they were using, like they do use Christianity as an excuse to hate. And anybody who tells you differently is lying to themselves and they're lying about people they're hanging out with because I mean, I saw it. I was, I was in it. It was like, it wasn't always like up front and center, but it, you know, people bring their prejudices to wherever they're at, even if it's a church. Of course. Yeah. And you can always use scripture to, in whatever context you want to defend your weird point of view or whatever point of view, even if it's a good point of view. I mean, you can totally use it. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is dangerous. Yeah. And over the years, like in college, I, you know, at the end of high school, like I pretty much all but dropped out of like going to church and in college like that, like definitely was not on my agenda, just like not like sort of a crisis of faith, I guess. In college, I started doing yoga, started focusing like more on that and like thinking about meditating and stuff. Then like over the years, um, it sort of started to be more of my life and like seeking some sort of like spiritual side. And last November, right after the election, actually, Mm-hmm. It came at a really good time. I learned uh, Vedic meditation, which is a mantra-based meditation. Sure. Let's see. How many months is that? Three months now? Yeah. Uh, I've been meditating twice a day for 20 minutes a day. That's really cool. Yeah. They say it's really good. That it's, I mean, it helps in so many different ways, like even with physiologically speaking, as well as just helping us focus and in all aspects of life. It's totally beneficial. Right? Yeah, it's and it's been really great. And it's like not any other like, t- I've tried a bunch of different types of meditation. And this one, like, I think it's just a matter of finding the one that kind of like clicks with you. And it's the same with finding your God and like, finding your own space, if wherever that journey may lead you. So for me, this really clicked. And uh, it's been really, it's been really awesome. It's really intense at first, because you're sort of like bringing up all these past stresses. And so <laughs> one of the funniest things was like, I felt really at peace, but I was like, everything was so on the surface. And I had a couple of people pick fights with me. Mm-hmm. Um, this background person like called me a fucking bitch at work. <laughs> and, it was, and it was like the week after the election. So like no one was having it. Everybody was like, you don't get to talk to women like that. This is not anything we're doing. Like people yeah. like ganged up on, like I didn't even have to say anything like, and I had never been spoken to before like that at work. Like that was unbelievable. Yeah, seriously. What the hell did you do that would prompt such a ridiculous response anyway? I mean, it was, it was so over the top. I was like, whatever rage you're feeling makes no sense. Like in so many different ways, like he was mad that he had to stand in line, even though I said he shouldn't be standing in line. 
And then he was like, when are we going to get wrapped? This is nonsense. I've been standing here for 10 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, but you're getting paid for another four hours. So like, I so shut up. <laughs> yeah. So like everything about his anger was completely absurd, but it was like, I had turned myself into a lightning rod. It was like hilarious. And I almost got like some girl tried to start a fight with me at a bar. And I was mm-hmm. just like completely, I was like m- more furious than ever, but I was so calm. It's yeah, a weird totally. thing. Yeah. So that was really funny. So that's how it's helped you, I guess, in your day-to-day life to just deal with, to not take things at face value. You're like, that's their problem. You're not taking that on a personal level. Is that what you're saying too, that it's helped you do that? Yeah. I mean, and the funniest part is that like, that's neither one of those things really, they rarely ever happen. And it was somehow like me being so sort of like Zen out was like a lightning rod for people to kind of like, it was like attracting this anger for like a week. It was really funny. Um, but, but since then, it's like every, you know, I haven't gotten yelled at. Like, it's sort of just like you're in the flow. And like very specifically for me, uh, just like sort of being content with like where I'm at in life and trying not to get so stressed out about the past and the future and being really in the moment. I mean, it's so cliche, but it's like really true. And it's like this feeling of kind of like a wanting or that like longing for something else is sort of fulfilled in some way. And you're like, sort of, it's like ineffable. If you feel that, I guess, and like you have that in your life. And once it goes away, you're like, oh, that's gone now. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a relief. People say live in the moment and all that, but it is, you're right. That's a fundamental truth that we always tend to forget. And it's almost like maybe there's something hardwired in our DNA that tries to pull us away into the future and pull us back to the past. And both are just, it's neither beneficial. And unless you're like, you know, goal setting and practical matters for thinking about the future, but not stressing out about, well, what if, what if I grow a fourth arm, assuming that you had a third arm already, you know, what in the future? And that's going to cause me some anxiety because I've already dealt with a third arm and four, you know, things like that in the past. Like, I can't believe I stole that ice cream truck when I was 10. I guess it was probably from like a hardwired, like, you know where the danger was before and you're like looking out for the danger ahead. But, you know, we can get really mired in it and like the stress and all that of everything. So what do you think? Amy, are the biggest things, and you can take some time thinking about this one, and maybe just focus on three, the biggest things that need to be fixed on this planet this day. (laughs) Today? Just today? Well, let's just say (laughs) during this period of time, at this at this very point in time, what are the biggest things that are, are wrong in your eyes with this, with what's going on in the planet? It doesn't have to be political. It can be or environmental, or it doesn't have to be just completely on the liberal side of thought. It can be whatever. I think that what needs to be fixed, like an immediate is like clearly like climate change is real. We have to get on top of that sooner than later. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's happening anytime soon because everything that's going down is just like a hot mess. I mean, it's 60 degrees right now in New York and it's February 20th. Like that's, that's not right. Yeah. It's like 200 degrees here in Austin. So there's something wrong there. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, only because I don't think it's reversible. So uh, I'm not sure, you know, I feel like that's like an immediate issue. I think the second part is um, just seeing people from like allowing people to have their own, their own space to find their own God. Stop trying to make your God, the right God. Yeah. That I think will get us to a lot farther place and maybe just a kinder place. And uh, then people, if they're interested, then they can 
they can find it themselves. And like they, there's a safer place for them to, you know, root out their own truth and like find their own, their own safe place and their own happiness. There's like a rule with like my meditation is, especially if you're going to teach it is that I forget the phrase exactly, but it's like, you have to ask like a few times about it and like show genuine interest. So when, unless people show me genuine interest and want to go to learn more about my particular type of meditation, it's not like I'm going to like, like the rule is like, don't, unless they ask like a couple times, like, you know, of course, like send them in the right direction, but Mm -hmm. you know, giving people the freedom to find their own find their own place. Yeah. No shoving things down the throat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, some of the other stuff that I've been listening to and how we create, um, radical Islam and our responsibility in that. And, um, by like persecuting, uh, regular Muslims. And, um, it makes me like, it just breaks my heart. Yeah. Me too. Cause it's like, you can't just say that these people are just like fleeing to radicalism on their own, like something happens to them. And um, I don't know if that's all of number two. And then number three, I just feel like we need uh, like people to seek the actual truth and like what's happening in the news right now. And I was just watching uh, the documentary, is it the 13th or then it's 13th about the 13th amendment. And it's about the black history and preventing African-Americans from voting and the prison system and the drug war. And I think that a lot of those things really need to be addressed in order for us to make like real change in our, in our country. I guess that's four. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. You can list as many as you want. This is good stuff. But I think the most important thing and like what you to go back to what you said earlier about like the person who kind of was like a dick to me on Facebook. And he was like, you know, give this person a chance. If you don't like it, then you can leave. And I'm like, okay, number one, I don't have to like, and I said this, I'm like, it's America. I don't have to like the president. Just like you don't like that's our freedom. And I could say exactly. that loudly on every social media site. It's still legal to do that. Yep. Still, it's still legal. And I don't necessarily need to be bullied into trying to shut up, but that's my actual freedom in this country. And uh, somebody else was like, you're making Russia a scapegoat. And it, what terrifies me about the people who are on the other side of this is that it's so hard for them to decipher out what actually is the truth and they're getting half truths so much and like taking them as the law and rules and as this is like actually happening and it's so easy for the current administration to tell so many half truths and like bold like actual like total lies i believe they're called alternative facts alternative facts exactly and to me that's one of the most dangerous things right now in this administration is telling lies as if they're truths and then convincing people of those things and the people not caring enough to actually find out whether or not it's actually true and like fact checking it. And like the whole thing about the fake news was that the guy who was posting the fake news is like, well, he's like, when I put up fake news about on like liberal sites, he's like the liberal people like completely debunk it within like the comment section within like the first four four comments. And he's like, if I put up fake news on the alt-right like sites, no one debunks anything. Hmm. I mean, I don't, maybe I'm paraphrasing it, but it's a dangerous place to live. Yep. Um, and like, I'm sure there's an article about this, but it's something that we've been talking about. And it's a dangerous place to live when you don't know where the actual truth is. Well, and I just heard uh, an interview with Stephen Colbert. I can't remember the podcast, but he was saying, you know, when we can't all agree on what reality is, then we have no basis for a discussion. 
I mean, I'm paraphrasing that yeah. for sure, but that's what it is. Like reality now is all of a sudden in question. Warped. Yeah. And yeah. the minute they start to create an alternative reality, then they can do actual dangerous things and get away with it. Yep. You know, and it's like this alternative reality that Hitler started. Like, let's, it's very, very close to what, what happened. And it's like terrifying to me. And now there's immigration stops. Like somebody posted on Facebook, there was an immigration stop in Queens and they like, they're like, it's between this block and this block, like avoid it. I mean, and this was a white friend of mine, like reposting it on Facebook. It's like, this is really, this is happening in New York right now where it used to be like a safe haven for people to try to get off of their, you know, get on their feet and like, you know, pay, they all pay taxes. (laughs) So Yeah. And Lady Liberty is right there, too. You know, like, you know, walk over to. Yeah, (laughs) I know what you're saying. That's um, and, you know, some people would probably think, oh, Amy, that's just hyperbole about the, uh, you know, referencing Hitler and whatnot. But I mean, you got to think about how I mean, I'm no expert on the on the subject, um, historically speaking. But yeah, that's I think there are some definite there's some definite parallels and a lot of people would agree with you. Yeah, and that's how it's, I mean, and this is how it started. It's like you you he created a world where you didn't they didn't trust the media anymore. They didn't trust the news. They didn't trust, you know, this. these are the first steps. It's really scary to me. I was at home with my dad and he puts in CBS News and, you know, for him, that's his news or whatever. And like, that's his choice. The interview was like, how do you think the new president's doing? And they went to like a diner in the Midwest and interviewed a bunch of like 50, 60 year old white dudes. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, so we know how 50 and 60 year old white dudes feel like they've had a voice for the last 200 years. I mean, I am really curious about like how many white dudes there are in America and how much, <laughs> you know, how much voice they have. Like, what's the proportion? Like you're killing me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's and you know what? Being this like uh, kind of middle aged white dude, I'm like, wow, I'm in this weird demographic right now where I'm just going to start saying I'm a very uh, light complected Latino. That's (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like, guys, we're fucking coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I'm like, yeah, that's probably about about time, you know, well deserved. With my liberal gay agenda, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my single yeah. lady. You know, I think if if anything, though, out of this whole political, like you said, hot mess times 10, really, is that, wow, it's really like you said earlier, too, is that it's firing people up. There's some an energy in the air and people are rising up, you know, the gay population, women, uh, minorities. It's And that to me is probably... If there is a silver lining to it, that's a beautiful silver lining right there. People are standing up. They're not just it's like, what, 50 years ago or so we just got supposedly got rid of like segregation, even though I've heard stories of schools in the South still having to be federally mandated to not segregate their children. But I I don't know that I can't I'd have to look that up. Maybe I'll try to find a reference for that. You know what I mean? It's like, what? Why we we can't regress? But at the same time, I'm glad that to see that we're, people are rising up. You know? Yeah, it's uh, mobilizing people. I guess it's inspiring people to get more active for sure and be louder. And um, when you realize that you're not the only voice, 
or you're the only one who feels like that, it's like easier to kind of say your, say your truth and speak your mind and fight and like fight for it. You have to fight. Like now we have to fight for it, which is, I guess we were being a little naive uh, about it before when the, the Koch brothers have been like, you know, winning state elections and like preparing senators and <laughs> for years. And that's where, you know, the one side has now like come into like really strong power. Yep. Very strong power. Cool. Well, I have just two more questions for you. Um, the first one being, and since we we delved deep into a little bit of the murky waters of the present state of things, what do you think are the best things about life here on Earth? How, how does what does Amy Teats see as being? Well, this is a really beautiful thing that's going on on my planet, and what I don't know, it could be you're grateful for this blade of grass that Toby, aka Ash, gets to go play in sometimes. I'm going to call him Toby, by the way. No worries. I like it. He's been sleeping the whole time. It's been nice. Um, <laughs> Amazing. That's what I'm thankful for. Um, that my puppy <laughs> is like napping. I'm thankful for every puppy nap. Everything aside, I am really lucky um, that I am a woman who came of age during this time and that I have my own career, my own life. And, you know, I can have a leadership role in certain, you know, in my life and I can provide for myself and that wasn't always the case, you know, and that there's a place now for women who are unmarried and I'm not like a look down upon like a social pariah or something like that. And like, I can just like live my life. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. I mean, there, I mean, I guess it was just in the seventies or the eighties that like a woman couldn't even in certain states, you like couldn't get a credit card without your husband's permission and stuff like that. Like crazy. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, simple things. And yeah, I'm really thankful that I get to live here. And it was something that I've always wanted to do ever since I was little um, on my goat farm. I've always wanted to live here and that I could like make that a reality. So cool. Were yeah. you like drawing pictures of, I, I don't know if you can draw pictures on goats, but like a map <laughs> of New York with a goat friendly marker. <laughs> I, I don't know. but It was just something I always wanted to do. And I was like, I have to get out of here. Or I just like dreamed big. And, you know, it really, I guess like growing up, it really did surprise my parents. They were like, where are you going? What? They love their rural life. And it's like really quiet and I'm completely the opposite. So it really surprised them. But I was, I'm really happy that I get to live here and provide for myself. Um, Some days it's harder than others. And it feels like everything costs like so much money here. But for, for the most part, it's like really great to be part of, you know, this like city that's its own like energy and it's like a living, breathing thing. No, I, I truly believe that too. Yeah. yeah. And like once you finally get into the rhythm of it and you're like in the zone with it, you can be, you know, you're simpatico with the, with the city of New York and you like find your place within it. It can be a really great thing. It takes a little while. There's some bumps in the road as you start when you move here, but. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a harder place than most, but um like I said, once you get your, your family here and your friend family and all that, you look out for each other. Yeah. I love New York. I need to go back. I want to go back. I'm going to get a plane ticket tomorrow. No, I can't, but I want to. You should come visit. I know. Seriously. I'm going to visit for sure. My last question actually is going to start off with having you imagine something for me. Okay. So imagine that one day you're walking through a lush green park, let's say it's Hyde Park in London, on a beautiful spring day, when suddenly a yellow spacecraft appears, 
and out steps an alien who looks and talks very much like the British actor Benedict Cumberbatch. But this, yeah, but does not blink much, if at all. After exchanging pleasantries about the weather and what cricket is, the alien, who has identified himself as an intergalactic journalist by the name of Ford Prefect from another more fashionable part of the galaxy, asks that you give him the most accurate description of how you see and understand life on this planet. What would you tell this alien? Ugh, it's so hard to um, answer the question without knowing like his context of his life experience and how he understands it. Um, well, let's just say that he, uh, you know, borrowing from probably some terrible B movie I've seen in the past, <laughs> that he, <laughs> he, he's been watching us from afar for a number of years anyway. And he's just still, he's kind of doing this little, uh, uh, he's just researching the planet, you know, but he knows enough about it. To, he knows enough context uh, to identify kind of what you're talking about. He'll, he'll know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, I guess that I would say that everybody has their own, their own journey and everybody's sort of like looking for what it means um, for them. And for some people, it's being creative. And for some people, it's like making money. And for some people... Um, it's finding God and for some people it's like, you know, finding love and, um, be like, or family and friends and family and their relationships. Um, and that it's different for everybody and that everyone's sort of like searching for their own place in the world. And that's sort of like what the human journey is about. And I would also ask him why he looks like Benedict Cumberbatch. That's really cool. And uh, yeah, I did actually talk with him because this is a real person. Uh, well, alien. I don't know if they call themselves people. I didn't ask him that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he he just saw an episode of Sherlock and thought, well, I'm just going to mimic that. So he had actually a costumer um, put together a Benedict Cumberbatch uh, costume nice. for him. Yeah. I just finished watching that series. So good. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I love that series. Seriously. Yeah. I, I still have to watch the final season, but it is the final season, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, cause he's getting so uh, famous, but oh my God, the final season, dude, yeah. I just watched the final episode. Like last week I like saved it. And then I was like, no, there's two of them. Oh, it was the best. Really? Oh, I thought there was only three episodes, but I think there's four or something. And I was like, I didn't realize that I was going to get to watch two more episodes. I was so stoked. And then I went back and like rewatched, I like rewatched them all the time. So I went back and like rewatched them. From the first season. <laughs> Uh, that's what I just did too. I rewatched all of them up into up until the first uh, this recent season. So I can't wait. That's gonna yeah. be awesome. Yeah. Heck yeah. And I like that. I love your your explanation too of how you see uh, you know life and explaining kind of the I don't know the human condition what we're all after. That's that was cool. I, I can't wait to put this into on the podcast and get this out there for whomever to listen to. So that's gonna be cool. Well, Amy, thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for taking time. I know you uh, are incredibly busy, so I really thank you for taking time out to talk with me, give me your perspective on on things. Is there anything else the last minute thoughts about like, oh, you know what? This is actually part of my perspective. This is this is what <laughs> defines me. Any last uh, any last thoughts that you really want to get across about yourself? Um no, just that, you know, it's so nice to like talk about kind of like a higher truth or like the reasoning behind certain things and kind of get into like this idea of um, the human narrative and the human existence. Because like this morning I was just feeling like, you know, when you feel like sort of overwhelmed and bogged down by like the day to day, because Toby over here has some sort of like <laughs> parasite that I have to like give him like 
you know, like three things a day for, for the next week. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, and you're like, I'm in charge of this little thing and it's sick or whatever. He doesn't seem sick. He's fine. You know, but he has something to make him sick. And I'm like, this sucks. Um, (laughs) and like getting bogged down in like the little really tiny paras, like truthfully, like the figurative and literal parasites of like life Yep, can be really overwhelming, but it's nice to, um, they took this opportunity to kind of like talk about something a little bit bigger than all of us. Yeah, that's cool. I think we have to escape our ourselves a little bit and escape. I mean, though, even though, of course, this is this this episode is about you and your perspective. But I know exactly exactly what you're saying. Escaping the kind of micro cosmic things that go on and start taking up a lot of our attention, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's like um, whenever I start to get bogged down by like the minute details of like some job I was trying to do and, you know, we don't have like enough shoes for this scene and they want to put a bunch of people doing this and that scene and there's not the right color and it's like just all the minutia of all this I like just call my parents and I'm like so what's happening in the country what are you growing in the garden yeah like oh well we're having a problem with raccoons eating all the corn (laughs) (laughs) you know and you're like cool thank you I needed that (laughs) (laughs) seriously like uh, uh, even there even you telling me that right there I was like oh that sounds kind of there's something peaceful about that i don't know why yeah like that's the biggest problem right now i mean now that (laughs) you know he's sober and they're like they're like oh god the corn you know we just didn't get enough corn last year and um it's um yeah it's a beautiful thing (laughs) yeah it really is there is something to simplicity to be honest with you so i understand um so cool all right well Amy, thank you again, and take care of that Toby slash Ash. Thank you. I will. I'll send you a picture. All right. Please do. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, totally. All right. Amy, you take care. You too. Talk to you soon. Hey, thank you so much for checking out this episode of In the Shoes Of. If you like or don't like the podcast, feel free to leave a review or reach out to me. My email is jnickel at intheshoesof.org. I'm Jeremy Nickel, the host and producer of the show. Until the next time, see you later.